Chapter Fourteen of The Absentee by Maria Edgeworth. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. No, Lord Colambre was not in his accustomed place, reading in the breakfast room, nor did he make his appearance till both his father and mother had been some time at breakfast. Good morning to you, my Lord Colambre, said his mother in a reproachful tone the moment he entered. I am much obliged to you for your company last night. Good morning to you, Colambre, said his father in a more jocose tone of reproach. I am obliged to you for your good company last night. Good morning to you, Lord Colambre, said Miss Nugent, and though she endeavoured to throw all reproach from her looks and to let none be heard in her voice, yet there was a slight tremulous motion in that voice which struck our hero to the heart. I thank you, ma'am, for missing me, said he, addressing himself to his mother i stayed away but half an hour i accompanied my father to st james's street and when i returned i found that every one had retired to rest oh was that the case said lady clonbrony i own i thought it very unlike you to leave me in that sort of way and lest you should be jealous of that half hour when he was accompanying me said lord clonbrony i must remark that though i had his body with me i had none of his mind that he left at home with you ladies or with some fair one across the water for the deuce of two words did he bestow upon me with all his pretence of accompanying me lord colambre seems to have a fair chance of a pleasant breakfast said miss nugent smiling reproaches on all sides i have heard none on your side grace said lord clonbrony and that's the reason i suppose he wisely takes his seat beside you but come we will not badger you any more my dear boy we have given him as fine a complexion amongst us as if he had been out hunting these three hours have not we grace when colambre has been a season or two more in london he'll not be so easily put out of countenance said lady clonbrony you don't see young men of fashion here blushing about nothing no nor about anything my dear said lord clonbrony but that's no proof they do nothing they ought to blush for what they do there's no occasion for ladies to inquire said lady clonbrony but this i know that it's a great disadvantage to a young man of a certain rank to blush for no people who live in a certain set ever do and it is the most opposite thing possible to a certain air which i own i think colambre wants and now that he has done travelling in ireland which is no use in point of giving a gentleman a travelled air or anything of that sort i hope he will put himself under my conduct for next winter's campaign in town lord clonbrony looked as if he did not know how to look and after drumming on the table for some seconds said colambre i told you how it would be that's a fatal hard condition of yours not a hard condition i hope my dear father said lord colambre hard it must be since it can't be fulfilled or won't be fulfilled which comes to the same thing replied lord clonbrony sighing i am persuaded sir that it will be fulfilled said lord colambre i am persuaded that when my mother hears the truth and the whole truth when she finds that your happiness and the happiness of her whole family depend upon her yielding her taste on one subject oh i see now what you are about cried lady clonbrony you are coming round with your persuasions and prefaces to ask me to give up london and go back with you to ireland my lord you may save yourselves the trouble all of you for no earthly persuasions shall make me do it i will never give up my taste on that pint my happiness has a right to be as much considered as your father's colambre or anybody's and in one word i won't do it cried she rising angrily from the breakfast-table there did not i tell you how it would be cried lord clonbrony my mother has not heard me yet 
said lord colambre laying his hand upon his mother's arm as she attempted to pass hear me madam for your own sake you do not know what will happen this very day this very hour perhaps if you do not listen to me and what will happen said lady clonbrony stopping short ay indeed she little knows said lord clonbrony what's hanging over her head hanging over my head said lady clonbrony looking up nonsense what an execution madam said lord colambre gracious me an execution said lady clonbrony sitting down again but i heard you talk of an execution months ago my lord before my son went to ireland and it blew over i heard no more of it it won't blow over now said lord clonbrony you'll hear more of it now sir terence o'fay it was you may remember that settled it then well and can't he settle it now send for him since he understands these cases and i will ask him to dinner myself for your sake and be very civil to him my lord all your civility either for my sake or your own will not signify a straw my dear in this case anything that poor terry could do he'd do and welcome without it but he can do nothing nothing that's very extraordinary but i'm clear no one dare to bring a real execution against us in earnest and you are only trying to frighten me to your purpose like a child but it shan't do very well my dear you'll see too late a knock at the house door who is it what is it cried lord clonbrony growing very pale lord colambre changed colour too and ran downstairs don't let him let anybody in for your life colambre under any pretence cried lord clonbrony calling from the head of the stairs then running to the window by all that's good it's mordecai himself and the people with him lean your head on me my dear aunt said miss nugent lady clonbrony leant back trembling and ready to faint but he's walking off now the rascal could not get in safe for the present cried lord clonbrony rubbing his hands and repeating safe for the present safe for the present repeated lord colambre coming again into the room safe for the present hour he could not get in i suppose oh i warned all the servants well said lord clonbrony and so did terry ay there's the rascal mordecai walking off at the end of the street i know his walk a mile off gad i can breathe again i am glad he's gone but he will come back and always lie in wait and some time or other when we're off our guard unawares he'll slide in slide in oh horrid cried lady clonbrony sitting up and wiping away the water which miss nugent had sprinkled on her face were you much alarmed said lord colambre with a voice of tenderness looking at his mother first but his eyes fixing on miss nugent shockingly said lady clonbrony i never thought it would really come to this it will really come to much more my dear said lord clonbrony that you may depend upon unless you prevent it lord what can i do i know nothing of business how should i lord clonbrony but i know there's colambre i was always told that when he was of age everything should be settled and why can't he settle it when he's upon the spot and upon one condition i will cried lord colambre at what loss to myself my dear mother i need not mention then i will mention it cried lord clonbrony at the loss it will be of nearly half the estate he would have had if we had not spent it loss oh i am excessively sorry my son's to be at such a loss it must not be it cannot be otherwise said lord clonbrony nor it can't be this way either my lady clonbrony unless you comply with his condition and consent to return to ireland i cannot i will not replied lady clonbrony 
is this your condition colambre i take it exceedingly ill of you i think it very unkind and unhandsome and ungenerous and undutiful of you colambre you my son she poured forth a torrent of reproaches then came to entreaties and tears but our hero prepared for this had steeled his mind and he stood resolved not to indulge his own feelings or to yield to caprice or persuasion but to do that which he knew was best for the happiness of hundreds of tenants who depended upon them best for both his father and his mother's ultimate happiness and respectability it's all in vain cried lord clonbrony i have no resource but one and i must condescend now to go to him this minute for mordecai will be back and seize all i must sign and leave all to garrity well sign sign my lord and settle with garrity colambre i've heard all the complaints you brought over against that man my lord spent half the night telling them to me but all agents are bad i suppose at any rate i can't help it sign sign my lord he has money yes do go and settle with him my lord lord colambre and miss nugent at one and the same moment stopped lord clonbrony as he was quitting the room and then approached lady clonbrony with supplicating looks but she turned her head to the other side and as if putting away their entreaties made a repelling motion with both her hands and exclaimed no grace nugent no colambre no no colambre i'll never hear of leaving lunnon there's no living out of lunnon i can't i won't live out of lunnon i say her son saw that the londonomania was now stronger than ever upon her but resolved to make one desperate appeal to her natural feelings which though smothered he could not believe were wholly extinguished he caught her repelling hands and pressed them with respectful tenderness to his lips oh my dear mother you once loved your son said he loved him better than anything in this world if one spark of affection for him remains hear him now and forgive him if he pass the bounds bounds he never passed before of filial duty mother in compliance with your wishes my father left ireland left his home his duties his friends his natural connections and for many years he has lived in england and you have spent many seasons in london yes in the very best company in the very first circles said lady clonbrony cold as the high-bred english are said to be in general to strangers yes replied lord colambre the very best company if you mean the most fashionable have accepted of our entertainments we have forced our way into their frozen circles we have been permitted to breathe in these elevated regions of fashion we have it to say that the duke of this and my lady that are of our acquaintance we may say more we may boast that we have vied with those whom we could never equal and at what expense have we done all this for a single season the last winter i will go no farther at the expense of a great part of your timber the growth of a century swallowed in the entertainments of one winter in london our hills to be bare for another half-century to come but let the trees go i think more of your tenants of those left under the tyranny of a bad agent at the expense of every comfort every hope they enjoyed tenants who were thriving and prosperous who used to smile upon you and to bless you both in one cottage i have seen here lord clonbrony unable to restrain his emotion hurried out of the room then i am sure it is not my fault said lady clonbrony for i brought my lord a large fortune and i am confident i have not after all spent more any season in the best company than he has among a set of low people in his muddling discreditable way and how has he been reduced to this said lord colambre did he not formerly live with gentlemen his equals in his own country his contemporaries 
men of the first station and character whom i met in dublin spoke of him in a manner that gratified the heart of his son he was respectable and respected at his own home but when he was forced away from that home deprived of his objects his occupations induced him to live in london or at watering-places where he could find no employments that were suitable to him set down late in life in the midst of strangers to him cold and reserved himself too proud to bend to those who disdained him as an irishman is he not more to be pitied than blamed for yes i his son must say the word the degradation which has ensued and do not the feelings which have this moment forced him to leave the room show that he is capable oh mother cried lord colambre throwing himself at lady clonbrony's feet restore my father to himself should such feelings be wasted no give them again to expand in benevolent in kind useful actions give him again to his tenantry his duties his country his home return to that home yourself dear mother leave all the nonsense of high life scorn the impertinence of these dictators of fashion by whom in return for all the pains we take to imitate to court them in return for the sacrifice of health fortune peace of mind they bestow sarcasm contempt ridicule and mimicry oh colambre colambre mimicry i'll never believe it believe me believe me mother for i speak of what i know scorn them quit them return to an unsophisticated people to poor but grateful hearts still warm with the remembrance of your kindness still blessing you for favours long since conferred ever praying to see you once more believe me for i speak of what i know your son has heard these prayers has felt these blessings here at my heart felt and still feel them when i was not known to be your son in the cottage of the widow o'neill oh did you see the widow o'neill and does she remember me said lady clonbrony remember you and you miss nugent i have slept in the bed i would tell you more but i cannot well i never should have thought they would have remembered me so long poor people said lady clonbrony i thought all in ireland must have forgotten me it is now so long since i was at home you are not forgotten in ireland by any rank i can answer for that return home my dearest mother let me see you once more among your natural friends beloved respected happy oh return let us return home cried miss nugent with a voice of great emotion return let us return home my beloved aunt speak to us say that you grant our request she kneeled beside lord colambre as she spoke is it possible to resist that voice that look thought lord colambre if anybody knew said lady clonbrony if anybody could conceive how i detest the sight the thoughts of that old yellow damask furniture in the drawing-room at clonbrony castle good heavens cried lord colambre starting up and looking at his mother in stupefied astonishment is that what you are thinking of ma'am the yellow damask furniture said her niece smiling oh if that's all that shall never offend your eyes again aunt my painted velvet chairs are finished and trust the furnishing that room to me the legacy lately left me cannot be better applied you shall see how beautifully it will be furnished oh if i had money i should like to do it myself but it would take an immensity to new furnish clonbrony castle properly the furniture in this house said miss nugent looking round 
would do a great deal towards it i declare cried lady clonbrony that never struck me before grace i protest and what would not suit one might sell or exchange here and it would be a great amusement to me and i should like to set the fashion of something better in that country and i declare now i should like to see those poor people and that widow o'neill i do assure you i think i was happier at home only that one gets i don't know how a notion one's nobody out of lunnon but after all there's many drawbacks in lunnon and many people are very impertinent i'll allow and if there's a woman in the world i hate it is mrs derville and if i was leaving lunnon i should not regret lady langdale neither and lady st james is as cold as a stone colambre may well say frozen circles these sort of people are really very cold and have i do believe no hearts i don't verily think there is one of them would regret me more hey let me see dublin the winter marion square new furnished and the summer clonbrony castle lord colambre and miss nugent waited in silence till her mind should have worked itself clear one great obstacle had been removed and now that the yellow damask had been taken out of her imagination they no longer despaired lord clonbrony put his head into the room what hopes any if not let me go he saw the doubting expression of lady clonbrony's countenance hope in the face of his son and niece my dear dear lady clonbrony make us all happy by one word said he kissing her you never kissed me so since we left ireland before said lady clonbrony well since it must be so let us go said she did i ever see such joy said lord clonbrony clasping his hands i never expected such joy in my life i must go and tell poor terry and off he ran and now since we are to go said lady clonbrony pray let us go immediately before the thing gets wind else i shall have mrs derville and lady langdale and lady st james and all the world coming to condole with me just to satisfy their own curiosity and then miss pratt who hears everything that everybody says and more than they say will come and tell me how it is reported everywhere that we are ruined oh i could never bear to stay and hear all this i'll tell you what i'll do you are to be of age the day after to-morrow colambre very well there are some papers for me to sign i must stay to put my name to them and that done that minute i'll leave you and lord clonbrony to settle all the rest and i'll get into my carriage with grace and go down to buxton again where you can come for me and take me up when you're all ready to go to ireland and we shall be so far on our way colambre what do you say to this that if you like it madam said he giving one hasty glance at miss nugent and withdrawing his eyes it is the best possible arrangement so thought grace that is the best possible arrangement which takes us away if i like it said lady clonbrony to be sure i do or i should not propose it what is colambre thinking of i know grace at all events what you and i must think of of having the furniture packed up and settling what's to go and what's to be exchanged and all that now my dear go and write a note directly to mr soho and bid him come himself immediately and we'll go and make out a catalogue this instant of what furniture i will have packed so with her head full of furniture lady clonbrony retired i go to my business clamber and i leave you to settle yours in peace in peace never was our hero's mind less at peace than at this moment the more his heart felt that it was painful the more his reason told him it was necessary that he should part from grace nugent to his union with her there was an obstacle which his prudence told him ought to be insurmountable 
yet he felt that during the few days he had been with her the few hours he had been near her he had with his utmost power over himself scarcely been master of his passion or capable of concealing it from its object it could not have been done but for her perfect simplicity and innocence but how could this be supported on his part how could he venture to live with this charming girl how could he settle at home what resource his mind turned towards the army he thought that abroad and in active life he should lose all the painful recollections and drive from his heart all the resentments which could now be only a source of unavailing regret but his mother his mother who had now yielded her own taste to his entreaties for the good of her family she expected him to return and live with her in ireland though not actually promised or specified he knew that she took it for granted that it was upon this hope this faith she consented he knew that she would be shocked at the bare idea of his going into the army there was one chance our hero tried at this moment to think it the best possible chance that miss nugent might marry mr salisbury and settle in england on this idea he relied as the only means of extricating him from difficulties it was necessary to turn his thoughts immediately to business to execute his promises to his father two great objects were now to be accomplished the payment of his father's debts and the settlement of the irish agent's accounts and in transacting this complicated business he derived considerable assistance from sir terence O'Fay and from sir arthur Barrell's solicitor mr edwards whilst acting for sir arthur on a former occasion lord colambre had gained the entire confidence of this solicitor who was a man of the first eminence mr edwards took the papers and lord clonbrony's title deeds home with him saying that he would give an answer the next morning he then waited upon lord colambre and informed him that he had just received a letter from sir arthur Barrell, who with the consent and desire of his lady requested that whatever money might be required by lord clonbrony should be immediately supplied on their account without waiting till lord colambre should be of age as the ready money might be of some convenience to him in accelerating the journey to ireland which sir arthur and lady Beryl knew was his lordship's object sir terence o'fay now supplied mr edwards with accurate information as to the demands that were made upon lord clonbrony and of the respective characters of the creditors mr edwards undertook to settle with the fair claimants sir terence with the rogues so that by the advancement of ready money from the barrels and by the detection of false and exaggerated charges which sir terence made among the inferior class the debts were reduced nearly to one half of their former amount mordecai who had been foiled in his vile attempt to become sole creditor had however a demand of more than seven thousand pounds upon lord clonbrony which he had raised to this enormous sum in six or seven years by means well known to himself he stood the foremost in the list not from the greatness of the sum but from the danger of his adding to it the expenses of law sir terence undertook to pay the whole with five thousand pounds lord clonbrony thought it impossible the solicitor thought it improvident because he knew that upon a trial a much greater abatement would be allowed but lord colambre was determined from the present embarrassments of his own situation to leave nothing undone that could be accomplished immediately sir terence pleased with his commission immediately went to mordecai well sir terence said mordecai i hope you are come to pay me my hundred guineas for miss broadhurst is married well mr mordecai what then the ides of march are come but not gone stay if you please mr mordecai till lady day when it becomes due in the meantime i have a handful or rather an armful of banknotes for you from my lord colambre humph 
said mordecai how's that he'll not be of age these three days don't matter for that he has sent me to look over your account and to hope that you will make some small abatement in the total harkee sir terence you think yourself very clever in things of this sort but you've mistaken your man i have an execution for the whole and i'll be damned if all your cunning shall make me take up with part be easy mr mordecai you shan't make me break your bones nor make me drop one actionable word against your high character for i know your clerk there with that long goose quill behind his ear would be ready evidence again me but i beg to know in one word whether you will take five thousand down and give lord clonbrony a discharge no mr terence nor six thousand nine hundred and ninety-nine pounds my demand is seven thousand one hundred and thirty pounds odd shillings if you have that money pay it if not i know how to get it and along with it complete revenge for all the insults i have received from that greenhorn his son paddy brady cried sir terence do you hear that remember that word revenge mind i call you to witness what sir will you raise a rebellion among my workmen no mr mordecai no rebellion and i hope you won't cut the boy's ears off for listening to a little of the brogue so listen my good lad now mr mordecai i offer you here before little goosequill five thousand pounds ready penny take it or leave it take your money and leave your revenge or take your revenge and lose your money sir terence i value neither your threats nor your cunning good morning to you good morning to you mr mordecai but not kindly mr edwards the solicitor has been at the office to take off the execution so now you may have law to your heart's content and it was only to please the young lord that the old one consented to my carrying this bundle to you showing the banknotes mr edwards employed cried mordecai why how the devil did lord clonbrony get into such hands as his the execution taken off well sir go to law i am ready for you jack Lattitat is a match for your sober solicitor good morning again to you mr mordecai we're fairly out of your clutches and we have enough to do with our money well sir terence i must allow you have a very wheedling way here mr thompson make out a receipt for lord clonbrony i never go to law with an old customer if i can help it this business settled mr soho was next to be dealt with he came at lady clonbrony's summons and was taking directions with the utmost sang-froid for packing up and sending off the very furniture for which he was not paid lord colambre called him into his father's study and producing his bill he began to point out various articles which were charged at prices that were obviously extravagant why really my lord they are abundantly extravagant if i charged vulgar prices i should be only a vulgar tradesman i however am not a broker nor a jew of the article superintendence which is only five hundred pounds i cannot abate a doit on the rest of the bill if you mean to offer ready i mean without any negotiation to abate thirty per cent and i hope that is a fair and gentlemanly offer mr soho there is your money my lord colambre i would give the contents of three such bills to be sure of such noblemanly conduct as yours lady clonbrony's furniture shall be safely packed without costing her a farthing with the help of mr edwards the solicitor every other claim was soon settled and lord clonbrony for the first time since he left ireland found himself out of debt and out of danger old nick's account could not be settled in london lord colambre had detected numerous false charges and sundry impositions the land which had been purposely let to run wild so far from yielding any rent was made a source of constant expense as remaining still unset this was a large tract for which st dennis had at length offered a small rent 
upon a fair calculation of the profits of the ground and from other items in the account nicholas garraghty esq appeared at last to be not the creditor but the debtor to lord clonbrony he was dismissed with disgrace which perhaps he might not have felt if it had not been accompanied by pecuniary loss and followed by the fear of losing his other agencies and by the dread of immediate bankruptcy mr burke was appointed agent in his stead to the clonbrony as well as the colambre estate his appointment was announced to him by the following letter to mrs burke at colambre dear madam the traveller whom you so hospitably received some months ago was lord colambre he now writes to you in his proper person he promised you that he would as far as it might be in his power do justice to mr burke's conduct and character by representing what he had done for lord clonbrony in the town of colambre and in the whole management of the tenantry and property under his care happily for my father my dear madam he is now as fully convinced as you could wish him to be of mr burke's merits and he begs me to express his sense of the obligations he is under to him and to you he entreats that you will pardon the impropriety of a letter which as i assured you the moment i saw it he never wrote or read this will he says cure him for life of putting his signature to any paper without reading it he hopes that you will forget that such a letter was ever received and that you will use your influence with mr burke to induce him to continue to our family his regard and valuable services lord clonbrony encloses a power of attorney enabling mr burke to act in future for him if mr burke will do him that favour in managing the clonbrony as well as the colambre estate lord clonbrony will be in ireland in the course of next month and intends to have the pleasure of soon paying his respects in person to mr burke at colambre i am dear madam your obliged guest and faithful servant colambre grosvenor square london lord colambre was so continually occupied with business during the two days previous to his coming of age every morning at his solicitor's chambers every evening in his father's study that miss nugent never saw him but at breakfast or dinner and though she watched for it most anxiously never could find an opportunity of speaking to him alone or of asking an explanation of the change and inconsistencies of his manner at last she began to think that in the midst of so much business of importance by which he seemed harassed she should do wrong to torment him by speaking of any small disquietude that concerned only herself she determined to suppress her doubts to keep her feelings to herself and to endeavour by constant kindness to regain that place in his affections which she imagined that she had lost everything will go right again thought she and we shall all be happy when he returns with us to ireland to that dear home which he loves as well as i do the day lord colambre was of age the first thing he did was to sign a bond for five thousand pounds miss nugent's fortune which had been lent to his father who was her guardian this sir i believe said he giving it to his father as soon as signed this i believe is the first debt you would wish to have secured well thought of my dear boy god bless you that has weighed more upon my conscience and heart than all the rest though i never said anything about it i used whenever i met mr salisbury to wish myself fairly down at the centre of the earth not that he ever thought of fortune i'm sure for he often told me and i believed him he would rather have miss nugent without a penny if he could get her than the first fortune in the empire but i'm glad she will not go to him penniless for all that and by my fault especially there there's my name to it do witness it terry but colambre you must give it to her you must take it to grace excuse me sir it is no gift of mine it is a debt of yours i beg you will take the bond to her yourself my dear father my dear son you must not always have your own way and hide everything good you do or give me the honour of it 
i won't be the jay in borrowed feathers i have borrowed enough in my life and i've done with borrowing now thanks to you colambre so come along with me for i'll be hanged if ever i give this joint bond to miss nugent without you along with me leave lady clonbrony here to sign these papers terry will witness them properly and you come along with me and pray my lord said her ladyship order the carriage to the door for as soon as you have my signature i hope you'll let me off to buxton oh certainly the carriage is ordered everything ready my dear and pray tell grace to be ready added lady clonbrony that's not necessary for she is always ready said lord clonbrony come colambre added he taking his son under the arm and carrying him up to miss nugent's dressing-room they knocked and were admitted ready said lord clonbrony ay always ready so i said here's colambre my darling continued he has secured your fortune to you to my heart's content but he would not condescend to come up to tell you so till i made him here's the bond put your hand to it colambre you were ready enough to do that when it cost you something and now all i have to ask of you is to persuade her to marry out of hand that i may see her happy before i die now my heart's at ease i can meet mr salisbury with a safe conscience one kiss my little grace if anybody can persuade you i'm sure it's that man that's now leaning against the mantelpiece it's colambre's will or your heart's not made like mine so i leave you and out of the room walked he leaving his poor son in as awkward embarrassing and painful a situation as could well be conceived half a dozen indistinct ideas crossed his mind quick conflicting feelings made his heart beat and stop and how it would have ended if he had been left to himself whether he would have stood or fallen have spoken or have continued silent can never now be known for all was decided without the action of his will he was awakened from his trance by these simple words from miss nugent i'm much obliged to you cousin colambre more obliged to you for your kindness in thinking of me first in the midst of all your other business than by your securing my fortune friendship and your friendship is worth more to me than fortune may i believe that is secured believe it oh grace can you doubt it i will not it would make me too unhappy i will not you need not that is enough i am satisfied i ask no farther explanation you are truth itself one word from you is security sufficient we are friends for life said she taking his hand between both of hers are not we we are and therefore sit down cousin grace and let me claim the privilege of friendship and speak to you of him who aspires to be more than your friend for life mr mr salisbury said miss nugent i saw him yesterday we had a very long conversation i believe he understands my sentiments perfectly and that he no longer thinks of being more to me than a friend for life you have refused him yes i have a high opinion of mr salisbury's understanding a great esteem for his character i like his manners and conversation but i do not love him and therefore you know i could not marry him but my dear miss nugent with a high opinion a great esteem and liking his manners and conversation in such a well-regulated mind as yours can there be a better foundation for love it is an excellent foundation said she but i never went any farther than the foundation and indeed i never wished to proceed any farther lord colambre scarcely dared to ask why but after some pause he said i don't wish to intrude upon your confidence you cannot intrude upon my confidence i am ready to give it to you entirely frankly i hesitated only because another person was concerned do you remember at my aunt's gala a lady who danced with mr salisbury not in the least a lady with whom you and mr salisbury were talking just before supper in the turkish tent not in the least 
as we went down to supper you told me you had had a delightful conversation with her that you thought her a charming woman a charming woman i have not the slightest recollection of her and you told me that she and mr salisbury had been praising me à l'envie l'une de l'autre oh i recollect her now perfectly said lord colambre but what of her she is the woman who i hope will be mrs salisbury ever since i have been acquainted with them both i have seen that they were suited to each other and fancy indeed i am almost sure that she could love him tenderly love him and i know i could not but my own sentiments you may be sure are all i ever told mr salisbury but of your own sentiments you may not be sure said lord colambre and i see no reason why you should give him up from false generosity generosity interrupted miss nugent you totally misunderstand me there is no generosity nothing for me to give up in the case i did not refuse mr salisbury from generosity but because i did not love him perhaps my seeing this at first prevented me from thinking of him as a lover but from whatever cause i certainly never felt love for mr salisbury nor any of that pity which is said to lead to love perhaps added she smiling because i was aware that he would be so much better off after i refused him so much happier with one suited to him in age talents fortune and love what bliss did he but know his bliss were his did he but know his bliss repeated lord colambre but is not he the best judge of his own bliss and am not i the best judge of mine said miss nugent i go no farther you are and i have no right to go farther yet this much permit me to say my dear grace that it would give me sincere pleasure that is real satisfaction to see you happily established thank you my dear lord colambre but you spoke that like a man of seventy at least with the most solemn gravity of demeanour i meant to be serious not solemn said lord colambre endeavouring to change his tone there now said she in a playful tone you have seriously accomplished the task my good uncle set you so i will report well of you to him and certify that you did all that in you lay to exhort me to marry that you have even assured me that it would give you sincere pleasure that is real satisfaction to see me happily established oh grace if you knew how much i felt when i said that you would spare this raillery i will be serious i am most seriously convinced of the sincerity of your affection for me i know my happiness is your object in all you have said and i thank you from my heart for the interest you take about me but really and truly i do not wish to marry this is not a mere commonplace speech but i have not yet seen any man i could love i like you cousin colambre better than mr salisbury i would rather live with you than with him you know that is a certain proof that i am not likely to be in love with him i am happy as i am especially now we are all going to dear ireland home to live together you cannot conceive with what pleasure i look forward to that lord colambre was not vain but love quickly sees love where it exists or foresees the probability the possibility of its existence he saw that miss nugent might love him tenderly passionately but that duty habit the prepossession that it was impossible she should marry her cousin colambre a prepossession instilled into her by his mother had absolutely prevented her from ever yet thinking of him as a lover he saw the hazard for her he felt the danger for himself never had she appeared to him so attractive as at this moment when he felt the hope that he could obtain return of love but saint omar why why is she a saint omar illegitimate no saint omar sans reproche 
my wife she cannot be i will not engage her affections swift as thoughts in moments of strong feeling pass in the mind without being put into words our hero thought all this and determined cost what it would to act honourably you spoke of my returning to ireland my dear grace i have not yet told you my plans plans are not you returning with us said she precipitately are not you going to ireland home with us no i am going to serve a campaign or two abroad i think every young man in these times good heavens what does this mean what can you mean cried she fixing her eyes upon his as if she would read his very soul why what reason oh tell me the truth and at once his change of colour his hand that trembled and withdrew from hers the expression of his eyes as they met hers revealed the truth to her at once as it flashed across her mind she started back her face grew crimson and in the same instant pale as death yes you see you feel the truth now said lord colambre you see you feel that i love you passionately oh let me not hear it said she i must not ought not never till this moment did such a thought cross my mind i thought it impossible oh make me think so still i will it is impossible that we can ever be united i always thought so said she taking breath with a deep sigh then why not live as we have lived i cannot i cannot answer for myself i will not run the risk and therefore i must quit you knowing as i do that there is an invincible obstacle to our union of what nature i cannot explain i beg you not to inquire you need not beg it i shall not inquire i have no curiosity none said she in a passive dejected tone that is not what i am thinking of in the least i know there are invincible obstacles i wish it to be so but if invincible you who have so much sense honour and virtue i hope my dear cousin that i have honour and virtue but there are temptations to which no wise no good man will expose himself innocent creature you do not know the power of love i rejoice that you have always thought it impossible think so still it will save you from all i must endure think of me but as your cousin your friend give your heart to some happier man as your friend your true friend i conjure you give your heart to some more fortunate man marry if you can feel love marry and be happy honour virtue yes i have both and i will not forfeit them yes i will merit your esteem and my own by actions not words and i give you the strongest proof by tearing myself from you at this moment farewell the carriage at the door miss nugent and my lady calling for you said her maid here's your key ma'am and here's your gloves my dear ma'am the carriage at the door miss nugent said lady clonbrony's woman coming eagerly with parcels in her hand as miss nugent passed her and ran downstairs and i don't know where i laid my lady's numbrella for my life do you anne no indeed but i know here's my own young lady's watch that she has left bless me i never knew her to forget anything on a journey before then she is going to be married as sure as my name's lemestre and to my lord colambre for he has been here this hour to my certain bible knowledge oh you'll see she will be lady colambre i wish she may with all my heart said anne but i must run down they're waiting oh no said mrs lemestre seizing anne's arm and holding her fast stay you may safely for they are all kissing and taking leave and all that you know and my lady is talking on about mr soho and giving a hundred directions about legs of tables and so forth i warrant she's always an hour after she's ready before she gets in and i'm looking for the numbrella so stay and tell me 
mrs petito wrote over word it was to be lady isabel and then a contradiction came it was turned into the youngest of the kilpatricks and now here he's in miss nugent's dressing-room to the last moment now in my opinion that am not censorious this does not look so pretty but according to my verdict he is only making a fool of miss nugent like the rest and his lordship seems too like what you might call a male coquette or a masculine jilt no more like a masculine jilt than yourself mrs lemestre cried anne taking fire and my young lady is not a lady to be made a fool of i promise you nor is my lord likely to make a fool of any woman bless us all that's no great praise for any young nobleman miss anne mrs lemestre mrs lemestre are you above cried a footman from the bottom of the stairs my lady's calling for you very well very well said sharp mrs lemestre very well and if she is manners sir come up for one can't you and don't stand bawling at the bottom of the stairs as if one had no ears to be saved i'm coming as fast as i conveniently can mrs lemestre stood in the doorway so as to fill it up and prevent anne from passing miss anne miss anne mrs lemestre cried another footman my lady's in the carriage and miss nugent miss nugent is she cried mrs lemestre running downstairs followed by anne now for the world in pocket-pieces wouldn't i have missed seeing him hand miss nugent in for by that i could have judged definitively my lord i beg pardon i'm afeard i'm late said mrs lemestre as she passed lord colambre who was standing motionless in the hall i beg a thousand pardons but i was hunting high and low for my lady's umbrella lord colambre did not hear or heed her his eyes were fixed and they never moved lord clonbrony was at the open carriage door kneeling on the step and receiving lady clonbrony's more last words for mr soho the two waiting-maids stood together on the steps look at our young lord how he stands whispered mrs lemestre to anne the image of despair and she the picture of death i don't know what to think nor i but don't stare if you can help it said anne get in get in mrs lemestre added she as lord clonbrony now rose from the step and made way for them ay in with you in with you mrs lemestre said lord clonbrony good-bye to you anne and take care of your young mistress at buxton let me see her blooming when we meet again i don't half like her looks and i never thought buxton agreed with her buxton never did anybody harm said lady clonbrony and as to bloom i'm sure if grace has not bloom enough in her cheeks this moment to please you i don't know what you'd have my dear lord rouge shut the door john oh stay colambre whereupon earth's colambre cried her ladyship stretching from the farthest side of the coach to the window colambre colambre was forced to appear colambre my dear i forgot to say that if anything detains you longer than wednesday sen night i beg you will not fail to write or i shall be miserable i will write at all events my dearest mother you shall hear from me then i shall be quite happy go on the carriage drove on i do believe colambre's ill i never saw a man look so ill in my life did you grace as he did the minute we drove on he should take advice i've a mind cried lady clonbrony laying her hand on the cord to stop the coachman i've a mind to turn about tell him so and ask what is the matter with him better not said miss nugent he will write to you and tell you if anything is the matter with him better go on now to buxton continued she scarcely able to speak lady clonbrony let go the cord but what is the matter with you my dear grace for you are certainly going to die too i will tell you as soon as i can but don't ask me now my dear aunt grace grace pull the cord cried lady clonbrony mr salisbury's phaeton mr salisbury i'm happy to see you we're on our way to buxton as i told you so am i said mr salisbury i hope to be there before your ladyship will you honour me with any commands of course i will see that everything is ready for your reception 
her ladyship had not any commands mr salisbury drove on rapidly lady clonbrony's ideas had now taken the salisbury channel you didn't know that mr salisbury was going to buxton to meet you did you grace said lady clonbrony no indeed i did not said miss nugent and i am very sorry for it young ladies as mrs broadhurst says never know or at least never tell what they are sorry or glad for replied lady clonbrony at all events grace my love it has brought the fine bloom back to your cheeks and i own i am satisfied End of chapter fourteen